It is Wednesday, the 18th of October, the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. Let's pray together in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our hope is in you, O Lord our God. You are just to the oppressed. Grant a love for your justice to all who wield political and economic power. You give bread to the hungry. Grant your help to those who provide food for those in need. You give sight to the blind. Grant love's insight to those who are blind to others' needs. All loving God, you bound up the world's wounds by the suffering and death of Jesus Christ. Sustain in your people a strong desire to proclaim your healing word by lives of mercy and compassion for all through the same Christ our Lord. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Luke the Evangelist, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim, and those of you who are looking at the live stream are like, where is that guy? Well, I'm at the Catholic Radio Conference in Birmingham, Alabama, with a whole bunch of uh, people who run the radio stations you're listening to right now. And uh, it's going to be a fun day, an exciting day. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell's got news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis is running the video stream this morning. We'll catch in. Uh, we'll check in rather with uh, Dr. John Bergsma uh, with more thoughts on love basics for Catholics. Father Rob Jack will talk about purgative prayer this morning. Sounds intense. Gary Zimak uh, will dive into Psalm 100 with us and talk about making a joyful noise to the Lord. And then Joseph Pierce has a class that he's doing for Ave Maria University on J.R.R. Tolkien. So uh, you'll want to know about that. Right now, though, it is two minutes past the hour. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. President Biden is in Israel visiting the country while it as is at war. Air Force One landed at Ben Gurion Airport near Tel Aviv this morning, where Biden was greeted by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and other Israeli officials as part of a diplomatic mission to secure humanitarian aid to Gaza. The trip comes as many in the region are still reeling from an explosion at a hospital in the Gaza Strip that killed hundreds yesterday. Israel and Palestinian officials are blaming each other for the blast. Meanwhile, Pope Francis has made a phone call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish in Gaza. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Sister Nabila Saleh of the Rosary Sisters of Jerusalem shared a summary of a phone call she received from Pope Francis the other night, saying the Pope assured us that we are in his prayers and that he knows the suffering we are enduring. The religious sister serves in the Holy Family Parish, the only Latin Rite parish in Gaza. Speaking to Vatican Radio afterwards, Sister Saleh said the Pope called the parish priest, Father Yusuf, who then handed her the phone so she could speak directly with the Pope, since the Father does not speak Italian very well. She said Pope Francis wanted to know how many people are sheltering in the parish's facilities, and she said there are about 500 people, including the sick, families, children, the disabled, and people who've lost their homes and belongings, adding that it was a great blessing to be able to speak with the Pope. She said the Pope gave them courage and support in prayer. 
Sister Sala asked the Pope to make an appeal for peace and told him that Catholics in Gaza are offering their sufferings for an end to the war, for peace, for the needs of the Church, and for the ongoing synod. She said our parishioners were very pleased and they know that the Pope is working for peace and for the good of the Christian community in Gaza. Asked about the situation in Gaza, Sister Salah said people are trying to support each other as much as possible in their difficulties and are praying earnestly for peace. Sister Salah wrapped up the interview with an appeal for peace and justice in Palestine. She said, we want peace because war does no one any good. And she said, many people have lost their loved ones, their homes, and everything they have. And she concluded, we ask you to pray for us. The Times of Israel says Hamas is unlikely to take up the Latin patriarch of Jerusalem's offer of himself in exchange for child hostages they're holding. Speaking with journalists this week, Cardinal Pierre Batista Pizzaballa said, if this could bring about the freedom of children, no problem, my absolute willingness. Hamas is believed to be holding nearly 200 hostages, including children. The Jerusalem-based online news outlet reports Hamas is not likely to consider the offer. The U.S. is providing Ukraine with long-range missiles. U.S. officials confirmed yesterday that the Biden administration has been quietly providing the missiles to Ukraine. The confirmation comes after Ukrainian forces attacked two air bases in Russian-held territory yesterday. Ukrainian, the Ukrainian military posted on X that the attack destroyed several Russian helicopters and other structures. The former Speaker of the House says he is hopeful that Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio will soon win the Speaker's gavel. Trey Thomas has more. Jordan lost the first speaker vote Tuesday, but Congressman Kevin McCarthy of California said he went through the same process before he was elected speaker. So now we had a vote on the floor. They didn't get to the whole point. Now we'll take a break, talk to people and come back and solve it. McCarthy went on to blame a handful of Republicans for siding with Democrats to grind the government to a halt. The House has been without a speaker for two weeks following the removal of Kevin McCarthy. I'm Trey Thomas. Attorneys for former President Trump are filing a notice of appeal following the decision of a federal judge to issue a gag order, a partial gag order against him earlier this week. The order was issued Monday, prohibiting Trump from publicly criticizing witnesses, prosecutors, and court staff that are involved in the criminal case against him. Trump called the ruling unconstitutional after it was announced on Monday and once again commented on it yesterday to reporters at a New York City courthouse. And the Phillies are just two wins away from advancing to the World Series for the second straight year. Kyle Schwarber hit two of the Phillies' three solo home runs as they crushed the Diamondbacks 10 to nothing in Game 2 of the NLCS in Philadelphia. The Diamondbacks will host Game 3 of the series tomorrow in Phoenix. I feel like this whole postseason has just been Kyle Schwarber and Nick Castellanos and Bryce Harbour hitting yeah. home we runs. We got a few, few Mr. Octobers. Misters yes. October. Misters October. Yeah. Indeed. I think it's the the Mister is the one that's plural. There's only one October going on right now. Mm-hmm. How's there, it going over misters. there, Matt? It's going well. Yeah. I hung out at a reception. Catholic Answers uh, hosts a little reception at the really? radio conference last night there's a big bus going over to ewtn headquarters today 
and I'm going to go over and uh, check it out myself after we get done with the radio this morning. Do so. you have... Do they Should have good, good breakfast food, like grits and stuff? And um, I don't know, but there's a Costco that's like right next to this place, and I went over and got some like some snacks. <laughs> well, that's good. Got that's some good. snacks, but they had no uh, Catholic Answers had like a mac and cheese bar last night. Oh, was like their reception food. It was like an omelet bar, except it was instead of like the eggs, and you pick all the things. It was mac and cheese, and they like interesting stir fried your mac and cheese. Yeah, stir fried your mac and cheese. Yes. Leading apologetics uh, apostolate in uh, the American church, but also leading in heavy apps, like very strongly. Yeah. Wow. But it was a good time. Good. Good. I saw some people you know. I'll tell you about it later. Okay, good. I look forward to it. Well, today is Wednesday, October the 18th. It is the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. Pray for us. It's a past. Dr. John Bergsma back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. We've been going through his book, Love Basics for Catholics. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So we are continuing to look at the love of God for his people as expressed in the prophets. And we talked last time about the spousal imagery in Hosea, or I guess I should say the unfaithful spousal imagery. Um, Today we are going to look at a passage in the prophet Isaiah that you cite in your chapter here on the prophets. This is Isaiah chapter 55, verses 1 through 3. It says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? and your labor for that which does not satisfy. Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, merciful love for David. Now, Doc, why is this passage significant when we talk about this idea of spousal love between God and Israel? Yes. Well, it follows on Isaiah 54, where we get beautiful language about God resuming his marriage with Israel. And then this uh, call to the poor of the earth, Anna, the people who have no money, who are lacking, you know, the price for a meal, are all being invited to this wonderful banquet. And it's really a wedding banquet, because when they come and participate in this banquet and and listen to God's summons, they will enter into a covenant. And that's what happens at a wedding banquet. A wedding banquet is a celebration of a covenant that's being formed between a bride and groom. And so they respond to this call of God, they come to this wonderful banquet, and then God makes with them this unbreakable covenant that is the same love, the same covenantal love that he had for David. So they come into what we call the Davidic uh, covenant. So it's connected with that previous chapter and the idea of God 
reestablishing the marital covenant with the people of Israel. Can you talk about God's uh, game here, I guess you could say, um, why this would be so important, so enticing, I think, to, to people who were living in exile? Because they felt like they had been, as it were, divorced by God, like God had abandoned them, cast them away because of their sins, because of their unfaithfulness. And living in poverty, living in exile, this sense that uh, there was no future. And into that reality, Isaiah comes and he speaks these words of hope and tells the people of Israel, despite the poverty that you're experiencing now, despite the sense that you're at the mercy of your enemies and you have no national future and you don't have a personal future with God, God is going to come one day and offer you this invitation to come into an intimate relationship with himself without any preconditions and establish with you these, this eternal bond. And of course, Anna, we read this, uh, this is one of the readings during the Easter Vigil, as we are preparing. Actually, we read both Isaiah 54 and 55 here, mm. both those passages in the Easter Vigil, as we're preparing people to come and, uh, well, lo and behold, you know, partake in a free meal, which is going to initiate them into a new covenant. Quite the feast that you get when uh, when entering into the fullness of communion with, with the Church in, in the Holy Eucharist. And actually, I... I think this is interesting, too, and maybe maybe this is wrongheaded on my part, but I was thinking about this passage in light of, of those who got to stay and sort of replant Jerusalem, um, because the, the people who were exiled were exiled because they were enslaving their brother, right? So those mm-hmm. who were enslaved got to stay behind and, and, and be invited to this feast as well. Absolutely. It extends to all, you know. And there was a sense among ancient Israelites that wealth was a sign that you were favorable to God, and wealth also enabled you to keep the cleanliness laws of Moses, because you could afford a ritual bath in your own home, and you didn't have to do manual labor, etc. And so there was a strong sense in ancient times that, boy, if you're poor. You know, if you worked the land, you weren't pleasing to God. But uh, such is not the case, and uh, this beautiful passage calls those without material resources uh, into this relationship with God and assures them that this banquet is coming that's going to bring them into an unbreakable uh, spousal relationship with the God of Israel. Well, wow, that's really interesting that they would think that manual labor with the land was not good. I mean, that was the first thing that God told Adam, right, was to till and keep the garden. Absolutely. Yeah, but in time, you know, having a job that uh, did not require you to have contact with the earth or animals, et cetera, all of which could huh. be sources of uncleanness, that wow. became a real thing, especially in the first century when we're looking at the Gospels. So, you know, the Pharisees tried to avoid that kind of stuff. They were, so to speak, white-collar workers. Really interesting. Okay, I want to close out the conversation 
Uh, reading the next two verses after what I just read um, a little bit ago, these are verses four and five. It says, behold, talking about David here, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call nations that you know not and nations that knew you not shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So this is not just the people of Israel who are being invited to this wedding banquet. No, indeed. It's really quite amazing because in those passages we see an anticipation of something that could not have been predicted or anticipated, uh, you know, back in the 700s, 600s, etc. B.C., here we're talking about Gentile groups like, say, Germans, Dutch, Chinese, Americans, Americans, <laughs> who had never had contact with ancient Israel, actually seeking out the God of Israel. Uh, so quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. Thank you so much, Dr. John Bergsma. The book is called Love Basics for Catholics. It's from Ave Maria Press, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Headlines coming up next. It's 17 past. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is. And put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save. 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity Health Share, 844-334-3245. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. 19 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. President Biden is in Israel, becoming the first president to visit the country while it is at war. This coming in the wake of an explosion at a hospital in the Gaza Strip that killed hundreds yesterday. Pope Francis has made a call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish in Gaza, and the Holy Father also has recently granted an interview to an Argentine news outlet answering questions about his encyclicals, the Synod, 
and war around the world. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell got to uh, meet a bunch of different people. I mentioned that I, I met some people who were very complimentary of you and your work. Oh, um, that's but nice. I got to, Thanks. Got to sit and uh, and eat and speak with uh, some various people from various Phillies. Want to shout out Real Presence Radio. Met some nice. people from there. Uh, of course, um, lots and lots of Guadalupe Radio people. Uh, oh, that makes met, sense. Uh, couple of people from the uh, John Paul the Great radio station in Tiffin, Ohio. Nice. And of course, I had to hand deliver to Kansas Skyline Chili some oyster crackers because I lost a bet with Adam from Covenant Radio, <laughs> host of their Roadmap to Heaven show, which we open up for and which we lost to in a gentleman's wager involving the Cardinals and the Reds. <laughs> but the, the package has been delivered. Oh, good. You've made good so on it. You know that. Nice. Nice. I'm a man of honor. His wife got film of me uh, making the handoff. I'm sure he's going to use it to manipulate us <laughs> and all kinds of things. There's the always road, next we'll year, Matt. There's always next year. Aye, aye, aye. It's 21 past. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. Dr. John Bruchowski, musician Mike Donahue from 10th Avenue North, activist Mark Halk, abortion survivor Rebecca Kiesling, and Sacred Heart Radio's Anna Mitchell, The Golden Evening for Life, October 19th at the Sharonville Convention Center. Reservations at CincinnatiRightToLife.org. That's CincinnatiRightToLife.org. I'm Bill Torbeck of Tri-State Abrasive and Tool Company, proud to support Sacred Heart Radio. Diamond and CBN are the most advanced cutting tools because they are the hardest materials known. These enable you to machine three to eight times faster compared to carbide while reducing downtime for tool changes by 90%. Improve your productivity when machining hard, cast, and powdered metals or difficult to machine materials. Find out more at theabrasiveone.com. That's the number one, theabrasiveone.com. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have traveled to nearly every corner of the world. Founded by St. Daniel Comboni, we are an international Catholic organization dedicated to ministering the world's poorest and most abandoned people. Your donations make a huge impact, and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at ComboniMissionaries.org. That is ComboniMissionaries.org. Twenty-three minutes past the hour, you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us on this feast of Saint Luke the Evangelist, the Gospel writer, the writer of Acts of the Apostles. Pray for us, Father Rob Jack, joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio here in Cincinnati, Ohio. Father, good morning. Morning, Anna. It's good to have you back, and we're continuing our series on how to speak 
Catholic. Today we are going to learn about purgative prayer. What is that? Well, it's a stage. When we think about our prayer life, oftentimes we deal with it in terms of our feelings, feeling this way, feeling that way. But the most unpredictable thing we have in our prayer life, in our life of our soul, are our feelings. And so what we have to do is think about, one, what the goal of prayer is, and two, how do we grow uh, in our steps? And so the three classical ways of talking about prayer is the purgative way, and that when you do that well, that'll lead you to the illuminative way. And then if you do that really well, then you get to the unitive way. But in the process of doing it, it requires not only God's grace, which is, of course, always there, it requires our effort. And so the purgative way pretty much come, describes, uh, is described as through the Word. And so we talk about a purgation. It's cleaning up. In other words, for us to really be ready to receive God, we have to have the room, and we have to have what I call the purity of heart and the clarity of vision. And so what begins with prayer is that when we begin our prayer, we notice oftentimes through the gift of self-knowledge, which is another gift of prayer, that there are things standing in the way of us coming closer to God. Some of those things are on the outside, like not making enough time or a lot of noise. Some of them are the inside, which is our sinfulness, our bad habits, uh, all those things. They all go together. And what we find happening is if our goal is to be united with God, we can talk about what all that means later. When we think about the steps of our spiritual life, oftentimes we can talk about it in terms of, okay, right now I'm still in the cleaning phase, you know? I got I to gotta go in there and take out my selfishness. I got to take out my uh, self-centeredness. I have to take out my uh, my greediness, my laziness, all those things. And what we see happening is that as we take care of these things, slowly but surely, with our sincere work, but also God's grace, we begin to find more room in our heart for God. I and imagine the- confession is a big part of this. It sure is. It sure is. Uh, And also the acknowledgement that we need cleaning up, you know. Mm. We can, as as you and I both know, and any human being knows, we can learn to live in about any kind of situation we're in. We can learn to cope. And the thing is, is if we do that and we become satisfied or complacent, that's always going to open up the door to more temptations and more obstacles and could turn us away from God. And so the purgative way says, you come to the Lord, and in the process, uh, the Lord shows you things in your life. And you think, why is it so hard for me to get up and pray? And he says, well, it would help better if you had more than four hours of prayer a night. You know, you wouldn't be falling asleep in your prayers. And then you find out, uh, well, why is it I have trouble growing in the love of God? Well, it could be because you have people in your life that you won't forgive. You have people in your life... Who, uh, who you need to ask forgiveness from, you know, that when we talk about our prayer life, it's not just talking to God all the time. The goal, the goal is growth. And what I found, and, and maybe you found it too, that usually when you think you've reached a certain plateau of prayer, and you say, boy, you know, this is going pretty good, what does God usually do? He says, well, yeah, okay, this is good for beginners. 
But guess what? Here's more stuff that's been popping up that we got to deal with. You are hitting on a question that I wanted to ask about this stage, the purgative stage, because as you were saying, uh, the goal is to move higher and higher in these stages, the illuminative, the illuminative and the 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 uh, unitive. unitive. Um, is there ever a point when we stop being in the purgative phase? I mean, or or are we constantly sort of shifting back to that to to continue on in the journey? We shift back. I mean, when we think about it, when we oftentimes think about growth, we go from point A and we're done with point A. We go to point B and right. we're done with point B. And we go, that doesn't happen with us in our prayer life. What happens is we, we start at point A. And then we have the the next two steps are not, shall we say, permanent or lasting steps. Mm-hmm. They're 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 glimpses of God's glory. They're they're uh, what's the word? Expressions of God's love for us that can further our peace and give us wisdom and, and help us see a, a clearer situation. But as soon as we get there, we find, oh no, there's now a couple other deeper things that have gone on. The greatest saints of the church have never, ever, shall we say, graduated fully from the purgative stage. Mm. Well, it, it kind <laughs> of a, it, it makes it makes me think of like to use imagery of um, art, you know, sculpting, for instance. Yeah. You're like hitting off the big chunks of things, but then eventually you got to like chisel and then you got to like sand. I mean, it's never really a complete work in the end. Well, it isn't because we can't do all the work ourselves. We 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 make the progress. God then takes us and moves us to the next step. Prayer is always learning how to be connected to the Lord and let the Lord draw us when we show him that we're ready for it by looking at our life and examining our conscience and trying to go away from sin. Yeah, there's always more polishing that can but be done. But not to the point that we're scrupulous. Exactly. That's a whole different situation we'll have to talk about sometime. Oh, okay, good. We'll, uh, we'll look forward to that conversation in the future. In the meantime, you can find Father Rob Jack and Driving Home the Faith linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. You can tune in to Sacred Heart Radio's live stream and listen from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Father Rob, thank you so much. You have a good day, Anna. You do the same, Father. Thank you. It's half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. President Biden is making a wartime visit to Israel just after a deadly blast at a Gaza hospital yesterday that killed hundreds. Palestinian officials are blaming Israel, but the Pentagon says it is not clear who is responsible. Israel has said the bombing was the result of a rocket misfire carried out by Islamic Jihad. Jordan was scheduled to host a summit between Biden and the Egyptian and Palestinian leaders, but canceled it after the bombing. Lebanon's Hezbollah has called for a day of rage over the hospital bombing. Meanwhile, a ground invasion of Gaza by Israeli forces still appears imminent. Trey Thomas reports. Israel has imposed a blockade of the Gaza Strip, along with bombarding the region after Hamas's coordinated attacks earlier this month. The death toll from the fighting has now risen to 4,400. This comes as the U.S. and Israel have agreed to a plan to provide humanitarian aid from donor nations to civilians in Gaza. I'm Trey Thomas. The Times of Israel says Hamas is unlikely to take up the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem's offer of himself in exchange for child hostages they're holding. 
Speaking with a journalist this week, Cardinal Pierre Batista Pizzaballa said, if this could bring about the freedom of children, no problem. My absolute willingness. Hamas is believed to be holding nearly 200 hostages, including children. The Jerusalem-based online news outlet reports Hamas is not likely to consider his offer. Pope Francis, meanwhile, has made a phone call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish in Gaza. Sister Nabila Saleh of the Rosary Sisters of Jerusalem told Vatican Radio that the Holy Father asked about how many were sheltering at their parish, and she said the answer is about 500, including the sick, families, children, the disabled, and people who have lost their homes and belongings. She said it was a great blessing to be able to speak with him. He gave us courage and support in prayer. Pope Francis has granted an interview to an Argentine news outlet answering questions about his encyclicals, the synod, and war around the world. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The word crisis, said the Pope, contains an internal dynamism which implies that we cannot emerge from a crisis alone, but must find a path to overcome it from above. Asked about the state of humanity in our day, the Pope said our world lacks protagonists of humanity, people who are able to embrace their culture and manage crises in full awareness of their own identity. He said dialogue is essential to resolve any crisis, including wars between nations. You cannot dialogue with others if you do not have awareness of where you stand, he said. When two conscious identities meet, they can dialogue and take steps towards an agreement. Pope Francis went on to address those who call him a, quote, dictator when they comment on his social encyclicals. It is not true, he said. The Pope takes the gospel and says what the gospel says. And, he added, I clarify that I am not a communist, as some say. The Pope follows the gospel. Turning to the ongoing synod on synodality, Pope Francis acknowledged that the Church needs to adapt to the times of every age. From the beginnings of the Second Vatican Council, John XXIII had a very clear perception. The Church had to change, he said. It is not just about changing fashion, but about a change that promotes the dignity of individuals, but always promoting harmony in the Church. Concluding the interview, the Pope highlighted the importance of being able to laugh and embrace the virtue of hope, saying we cannot live without hope. Regarding his apostolic journeys, Pope Francis said he would like to go to Argentina. Speaking of the farthest places left, he added, I still have Papua New Guinea left. I'm Devin Watkins. The bishops of San Francisco and Oakland have issued a joint letter on the influence of gender ideology, which they say has become pervasive in contemporary society. Archbishop Salvatore Cordelione and Bishop Michael Barber say, quote, male-female sexual difference and complementarity are also essential to a Christian understanding of marital conjugal union, which is itself an image of Trinitarian communion. Eliminating this difference, they say, would diminish in man and woman part of what it means to bear God's image and likeness. They say to those experiencing gender dysphoria, we wish to affirm that God knows us, loves us, and desires our flourishing. It's 35. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite Monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N, risemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, was Jesus Christ always God? When we think about the birth of Christ, we know that it happened at a particular time and that it has a particular date. And so for some, they may wonder, well, perhaps Christ only became God. He started as a man and then through his good works and through his miracles, he slowly ascended the ladder toward divinity. These are people who might suggest that we can attain divinity in just the same way. These people are heretics. They have the heresy of Arius, who believed that Jesus Christ was divine, but through his own work. But we would rather say Jesus is divine because of his very nature. It's not something that he achieved by his work. It was something that he had from all eternity. Was Jesus Christ always God? Well, was the Father always with the Son and always with the Spirit? And the answer is yes. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. It is 37 minutes past the hour. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Gary Zimak from followingthetruth.com. We've been going through a little study on the Psalms and trying to apply them to our daily lives. Gary, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good morning. All right. We're in Psalm 100 today. Uh, what are you looking at there? You know, Matt, this is um, this is a great psalm for, for those of us who sometimes struggle with... Um, with finding joy. You know, it's we, we wake up, we think, oh my gosh, my life is a mess, everything's going wrong, I feel empty, I feel I'm worried, I'm anxious. This psalm is perfect for us. Let me just read it. It's a short one. Let me just read the beginning of it. Psalm 100, verse 1 starts out like this, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the lands. And I have to be honest, Matt, there have been times when I've looked at these words, because this is one of the more popular psalms in the book of Psalms, and I thought, why? Why should I make a joyful noise if I'm not feeling it today? You know, I'm struggling with all kinds of problems. Why should I make a joyful noise? Fortunately, in the next couple of verses, we get the answer. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with, with singing. So right there, I'm reminded that I am, no matter where I am, no matter what I'm dealing with, I'm in the presence of the Lord. He's with me. That is reason to rejoice. The next verse, verse 3, know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us. We are his. He made us. He created us out of nothing. Another reason to rejoice. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. In other words, he's leading us. He's our shepherd. We're the sheep. He is in control of our lives. And in those very first verses of Psalm 100, I'm reminded that no matter what's happening externally in my life, I have a reason to rejoice in the Lord's presence and in His protection. You know, there's uh, so much to be said here about this psalm uh, specifically, but I can't help but uh, consider the 
irony of you know liturgical expression and uh, our participation and how bad Catholics are sometimes at singing along uh, with the <laughs> with the choir and the cantor. <laughs> right, right. And usually it's the psalm where everybody just completely dies out. Off. Like <laughs> yeah. you know, people might be there for the Gloria. They might even be with you for a little bit of the Kyrie eleison or some of the other stuff, but. Often the psalm, it's not making a joyful noise to the Lord. It is making a mildly attentive noise to the Lord, <laughs> if that. Right. You know, so, I mean, it just strikes me that, that this is, you know, it, it's always sort of weird when it's like a, a joyful and exuberant responsorial line we're singing and everybody's just sort of half dialed in. Right, right. And, and I think it's important to, to take a closer look at some words in these psalms because, yeah, there are foreign there are foreign situations to us. There are. Uh, it's a different time. It was written many, many years ago. Sometimes we think we can't relate. But for for me, when I when I look at a psalm like this, and, and I really start to unpack it and just look at the basics, what's being said here, and it, it calls to mind the fact that yeah, I always have a reason to rejoice. And of course, joy is a one of the the fruits of the Holy Spirit. So I can rejoice through with the help of the Holy Spirit. One of the things the Holy Spirit helps me to do is reminds me of the fact, as this psalm says, that I'm in the presence of the Lord. He's with me. He's in control. He didn't promise to reveal all the details of everything that's going on to me, but that's what faith is. Faith is that trust, that choosing to trust in the Lord, choosing to believe. You know, when I read this, I choose to believe that the Lord is present. Can I see Him around me? No but I choose to believe that He is present with me and that He is in control. And just thinking about that starts my day off in, in the right way. As we're having this discussion, I'm realizing that he's, he's with me. It's going to be okay. Yes, I may have to suffer. There might be difficulties, but the Lord is in charge of my life. He's going to walk with me throughout the day, and I will be just fine. Yeah, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture, as you pointed out. I mean, this is a fairly yeah. short psalm. It's uh, the it kind that you could memorize uh, very easily. Um, but, you know, it, it, it strikes me, I just keep on coming back to this concept of, like, are we using Mass as that time to sort of express any kind of, um, I guess, joy, thanksgiving? It says here in verse 4, "...enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise." And, yeah. you know, I think sometimes we're good at that if we're in the right mood, <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, um, well, like I say, that could be a difficult thing to do. And, you know, if there's one critique that, you know, a lot of evangelicals level at, at Catholics, it's that they walk in and they, they see Catholics at Mass and they're like, it doesn't even seem like you guys care about what's going on or are half paying attention. Uh, if we entered his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, uh, you know, and were you know, more dialed in that way, I wonder how many people would stop by our church and visit and be like, man, these people love the Lord, right? They have a relationship right, with Christ, right. you know, not that we have to have like some kind of like a big show, but it does matter. I think that we're attentive, that we're joyful, that we enter with Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and you know what, Matt, I need this reminder of what you just said is so important. Enter his gates with Thanksgiving, you know, as I'm walking in the church and I'm blessed to be able to go to daily mass. But I'll, I'll be honest, there are times when, you know, I'm not exactly where I should be mentally. You know, sometimes I do go through the motions more than I'd like to admit. Maybe something's going on. Maybe I'm tired. But these words remind me. That's why the, the script, I just why I'm so glad we're able to speak about Scripture on these programs that we've been doing for so many years, 
you and I, it's a reminder for me. I need that. I need that reminder. I need that awakening. I need that greater awareness of what the heck is happening when I'm walking through the doors of that church. Am I entering with joy, with gladness, with, with uh, gratitude for the privilege of being able to worship Almighty God freely and to be able to receive Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, in the Eucharist? I mean, what an incredible reason to be joyful. And, and that's why something like this, as you said, a very short psalm, it's only a few verses, it's a reminder for all of us that we all, no matter what's going on, have a reason to rejoice today. Do we always feel it? Do I always feel it? Absolutely not. We don't have to feel it to do it. And, and you know, I'm saying this, I'm speaking to myself right now. I need to remember this. Well, you're speaking to me, too, because I also have to remember it, and there's probably at least one other listener out there who should remember this also. Uh, but, you know, there's there, there's a line here at the end that I think, you know, you, you mentioned that sometimes we don't always, you know, know how to connect with the psalm, but, you know, this this psalm ends with the reason we can. Uh, it says in verse 5, the Lord is good, his love endures forever, his faithfulness continues through all generations. Right. Uh, and that was written, right, in the, in the Davidic kingdom and down through right. the present day. Those generations have continued in their own ways to experience the faithfulness of God. Otherwise, there wouldn't still be a church, right? Exactly. Uh, so we have experienced that faithfulness, and we can lean on that when we have trouble figuring out where to find the joy. Exactly. And he's speaking to us today. That's a, This is an absolute proof of that statement. Through the Scriptures, the Lord just spoke to us right now, reminding us that he is faithful. He is faithful. We're not always faithful to him. i got to get better at that. But he is always faithful, and he's not going to abandon any of us today. Well, Gary Zimak, we've got followingthetruth.com linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's where they can find uh, you and find lots of books that you've written reflecting on the scriptures and uh, really kind of trying to take them in to our daily lives instead of just seeing them as words on a page. Gary, have a good one. Thank you so much, Matt. God bless you, my friend. All right, coming up next, Joseph Pierce is doing a course, an online course, with Ave Maria University on Lord of the Rings and Tolkien. So we'll talk to him about that next. It's a quarter tilt. Do you feel as though life is flying past you? Are you desperate for a way to find moments of peace and quiet? Lord, teach me to pray. The free Ignatian prayer series will open your heart to his voice, to the peace you're seeking, and the only love that fulfills the human heart, Jesus God is calling you to true joy, knowing Jesus personally. Lord Teach Me to Pray is free. Just go to lordteachmetopray.com and click on the red box. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me. 
Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. That's Leah at SacredHeartRadio.com. He is honored by the Church as a saint with the title Second Apostle of Germany. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. The Dutch-born Jesuit, St. Peter Canisius, was one of the key figures in restoring the Catholic faith in Germany during the Protestant Reformation. He is renowned for his catechism and also for his founding more than 40 universities that proved bastions of Catholicism across Central Europe. He died in 1597 and was named a doctor in 1925. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Hi, this is Cy Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Joe Heschmeyer, both hours, open forum. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 till, here's Anna with headlines. President Biden is making a wartime visit to Israel, coming just a day after a deadly blast at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds. Pope Francis has made a phone call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish in Gaza to check on those sheltering there. And the Holy Father also has granted an interview to an Argentine news outlet answering questions about his encyclicals, the synod, and wars around the world. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. You can uh, check us out in our show notes and get links to the video stream and also all the guests that we talk to on a daily basis and we'd love to hear from you in the course of your uh, digital travels i'm matt swaim joined now by joseph pierce visiting professor of literature at ave maria university and he's one of the professors in their free online courses uh this is a a, a great project they're putting on called the pursuit of wisdom you can find it at the pursuit of joseph good morning good morning matt so tell us about this course that you're doing on the genius of tolkien yeah, I actually did a, a, a course on the Genius Tolkien. I recorded in the summer. They're short courses, about five uh, uh, five lectures, um, meant to be accessible to anybody who's interested. And I also did a course on the Genius of G.K. Chesterton. So I did two courses for them, um, which I'm uh, very honored. I'm now back involved with Arby University as a visiting professor of literature. So, so this is all good. All right. So then, if these are uh, courses, plural, or, um, well, I say classes, plural, uh, what are some of the topics that you uh, that you cover through the program? Yeah, well, in the Tolkien course, uh, I made a point of um, concentrating on Tolkien's philosophy of myth, so the uh, the love of wisdom to be found through the power of story. And so I looked at, if you like, uh, the philosophy underpinning his work, and it would be finished, of course, by looking at the Catholicism of The Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. But I laid the foundations first of why Tolkien writes that sort of book. Yeah, your course on that is called A Myth-Understood Man, which is uh, was quite clever. I, I appreciated that one. Um, but <laughs> yeah, when we talk about myth, I, I mean, Tolkien is just a great—he's a great jumping-off point to talk about myth because, um, you know, sometimes we get the idea that myth means, you know, something that is false, uh, right? And uh, that is a myth about the idea of myth as understood by Tolkien, right? Yes, it's very important to understand our, our, uh, the English language and to, under, and to define our terms. So when we're talking about uh, Tolkien's work or about uh, classical mythology or what have you, the key thing is that the, the, the word myth in um, uh, Greek means story. It doesn't mean lie. You know, what used to do the word when you say that's a myth, it means it's a lie. That's not what story means. Uh, myth means story. And, of course, a story can be a lie, but the parable of the prodigal son, for instance, 
is a myth in that truer sense. It's a story. Um, it doesn't mean it's not true just because it's a story. Yeah, and that's uh, very important if you want to understand uh, really actually a whole bunch of things uh, that, um, well, that Jesus teaches, that Tolkien writes about. But you also have a course on The Hobbit as a parable. Um, I wonder how you dig into that in the Pursuit of Wisdom course that you do on Tolkien. Yeah, well, again, what I, I show in that, first of all, the Christ himself sanctifies story, because the parables in the, uh, in the gospel are, are works of fiction, in the sense that, they, that the, the prodigal son never existed as an historical character. Um, he's someone that, that Christ, if you like, invents as a, as a story in order to teach priceless lessons that are true. Uh, and so what's true of, uh, of, of uh, parables like the prodigal son is true, obviously, on a lower level uh, of other stories that, uh, that endeavor to show us the truth. And Tolkien's work, including uh, the, the work that made him famous in the first instance, his children's book, The Hobbit, are cases in point. Well, you mentioned his children's book, The Hobbit, and of course, The Lord of the Rings is, uh, is written for kind of an older audience. Uh, but... You know, I, I wonder how much you get into the idea of storytelling helping us to become more childlike and the idea of story helping us to get back sort of more of that sense of wonder and awe and connection with sort of deeper truths. Uh, do you get into that much? Yes, I do very much, uh, I, particularly in Tolkien's essay on fairy stories, um, uh, which was originally given as an academic lecture just before World War II. And it was influenced also by G.K. Chesterton's uh, book, Orthodoxy, and especially the chapter, The Ethics of Elfland. Um, so basically, the, 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 the key part of that in Tolkien's essay and in Chesterton's work is what Tolkien calls recovery. We have to recover a clear view, and that means we have to recover a childlikeness. Jesus Christ says, unless we become like two children, we will not enter the kingdom of heaven. So we have to regain a clear view of things and stories. Uh, and in and, and and a special way, actually, fairy stories can, can help us to regain that clear view. And that's what Chesterton believed. It's what Tolkien believed. It's what I believed. And it's what, GK, and it's what uh, Jesus Christ teaches by, by showing us some of the deepest truths in the form of parables. Well, and it's part of what led me to the Catholic Church uh, and helped me to develop a sacramental imagination. I remember reading Chesterton's Ethics of Elfland and uh, talking about having that sense of wonder about the world that's around us and understanding uh, that salvation is a love story. It's a romance, right? It's an adventure. Um, and, and all these things, I think, are, are what attract so many people to you know the Lord of the Rings without you know a lot of people realizing what kinds of things are shaping Tolkien to, to tell a story in this way. Uh, but, you know, as you, as you mentioned, and, and, and you've read, written a number of things uh, on, on Christianity and Lord of the Rings, but you also have a course or a class here on finding ourselves in the Lord of the Rings. I wonder, do you identify, I, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, is there like a specific character that you identify with, uh, you know, more than others, or does it kind of like swap out on each revisitation of the text? Yeah, I don't identify myself with any one particular uh, character. There are some characters I'd like to be. I, I think in some sense Samwise Gamgee is, is a loyal disciple uh, of, of Christ in the sense that, that Frodo is a ring-bearer and therefore a cross-bearer. Sam is the loyal disciple, and of course we all want to be that. That's why I think why many, many uh, readers do associate with the character of Sam. And, uh, and, and I suppose I do up to a point, but I think that 
we mustn't lose sight of the bigger picture. You know, Tolkien said that the Lord of the Rings is, um, quoting him here, the Lord of the Rings is, of course, a fundamentally religious and Catholic work. So this, 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 this story is fundamentally religious and Catholic in all its many multifaceted ways. And I think we, we want to see the whole picture. And if we uh, find ourselves identifying with one character, perhaps that's going to cause us to be a little bit uh, myopic. I mean, we don't want that. We want to be able to see the whole thing. Well, you know, if I were to idealize myself, maybe Aragorn. Uh, on my good days, I'm more like Sam, but most days I'm more like Boromir. So uh, I, I kind of fluctuate a bit myself. So. Well, I have my I have my Gollum moments. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, that's uh, that's another aspect of this that we haven't had a chance to really dig into. But I know you will as well. You know, Gollum and his obsession with the ring and how it is uh, a really interesting study in how sin works on the human heart. And uh, so there's lots to get into here. And uh, we've got thepursuitofwisdom.org linked at sunrisemorningshow.com where you can find Joseph's course. If people want to find more of the things that you're working on, and you're always working on something, how do they get in touch? I'll always keep up with what I'm doing. Just go to my personal website, jpearce.co, J-P-E-A-R-C-E.co. And that is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Joseph, thank you as always. Have a blessed day. My pleasure. My pleasure always, Matt. God bless you. I always love talking to Joseph. I mean, what other radio shows are talking about Lord of the Rings first thing in the morning on a Wednesday? We've got another full hour coming up for many of you listening across the EWTN network. We'll be back right after this. It's three minutes till. We continue on this Wednesday, the 18th of October. It's the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. And let's pray Mary's Magnificat, which Luke records in his gospel. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. St. Luke the Evangelist, pray for us. Of course, the uh, prevailing wisdom is that part of the reason that Luke included that in his gospel is because Mary was a major primary source for Luke in compiling his story of the life of Christ. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We've also got video feed. Travis is running that. You can check it out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Father Sebastian Walsh will talk about the setting of the Beatitudes and how that location uh, helps us to better understand those teachings of Jesus. Carlo Broussard from Catholic Answers will talk about the do-no-harm principle of moral relativism. 
and uh, maybe you've heard that. Uh, you can do whatever you want. Just don't hurt anybody else. Well, first of all, it's a low ecclesiology, but it's worse than that. And Carla will tell you why. And then Father Augustine Weta will be along, and we've been going through his book, Pray, Think, Act, Making Better Decisions with the Desert Fathers. We get a, an old monk story from him this morning, so that should be fun. Right now, it's two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. President Biden is making a wartime visit to Israel just after a deadly blast yesterday at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds. Palestinian officials are blaming Israel, but the Pentagon says it's still not clear who is actually responsible. Israel has said the bombing was the result of a rocket misfire carried out by Islamic Jihad. Jordan, the country, was scheduled to host a summit between Biden and Egyptian and Palestinian leaders, but canceled the summit after the bombing. Lebanon's Hezbollah has, meanwhile, called for a day of rage over the hospital bombing. Pope Francis has made a phone call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish in Gaza. From Vatican Radio, Thaddeus Jones reports. Sister Nabila Saleh of the Rosary Sisters of Jerusalem shared a summary of a phone call she received from Pope Francis the other night, saying the Pope assured us that we are in his prayers and that he knows the suffering we are enduring. The religious sister serves in the Holy Family Parish, the only Latin Rite parish in Gaza. Speaking to Vatican Radio afterwards, Sister Saleh said the Pope called the parish priest, Father Yusuf, who then handed her the phone so she could speak directly with the Pope, since the Father does not speak Italian very well. She said Pope Francis wanted to know how many people are sheltering in the parish's facilities, and she said there are about 500 people, including the sick, families, children, the disabled, and people who've lost their homes and belongings, adding that it was a great blessing to be able to speak with the Pope. She said the Pope gave them courage and support in prayer. Sister Sala asked the Pope to make an appeal for peace and told him that Catholics in Gaza are offering their sufferings for an end to the war, for peace, for the needs of the Church, and for the ongoing Synod. She said our parishioners were very pleased and they know that the Pope is working for peace and for the good of the Christian community in Gaza. Asked about the situation in Gaza, Sister Salah said people are trying to support each other as much as possible in their difficulties and are praying earnestly for peace. Sister Salah wrapped up the interview with an appeal for peace and justice in Palestine. She said, we want peace because war does no one any good. And she said, many people have lost their loved ones, their homes, and everything they have. And she concluded, we ask you to pray for us. That is Jones. The Times of Israel says Hamas is unlikely to take up the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem's offer of himself in exchange for the child hostages they've been holding. Speaking with journalists this week, Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballo said, quote, If this could bring about the freedom of children, no problem. My absolute willingness. Hamas is believed to be holding nearly 200 hostages, including kids. The Jerusalem-based online news outlet reports Hamas is not likely to consider his offer. The U.S. is providing Ukraine with long-range missiles. U.S. officials confirmed yesterday that the Biden administration has been quietly providing the missiles to Ukraine. The confirmation comes after Ukrainian forces attacked two air bases in the Russian-held territory yesterday. The Ukrainian military posted on X that the Attack destroyed several Russian helicopters and other structures. 
The former Speaker of the House says he is hopeful that Republican Jim Jordan of Ohio will soon win the Speaker's gavel. Trey Thomas reports. Jordan lost the first speaker vote Tuesday, but Congressman Kevin McCarthy of California said he went through the same process before he was elected speaker. So now we had a vote on the floor. They didn't get to the whole point. Now we'll take a break, talk to people and come back and solve it. McCarthy went on to blame a handful of Republicans for siding with Democrats to grind the government to a halt. The House has been without a speaker for two weeks following the removal of Kevin McCarthy. I'm Trey Thomas. The Phillies are now just two wins away from advancing to the World Series for a second straight year. Kyle Schwarber hit two of the Phillies' three solo home runs as they crushed the Diamondbacks 10 to nothing in Game 2 of the NLCS in Philadelphia. The Diamondbacks will be hosting Game 3 of the series on Thursday in Phoenix. Meanwhile, Texas will host reigning champion Houston Astros for Game 3 of the ALCS today. They'll take the Diamond at Globe Life Field after the Rangers won both games in Houston to start the ALCS. Texas will be sending out right-hander Max Scherzer to the mound, and he will stop. He will start opposite Houston right-hander Christian Javier. And a new chili pepper has broken the Guinness World Record for world's hottest. Pepper X, created by South Carolinian Ed Curry, that's an appropriate name, registers at just under 2.7 million Scoville units, which is the measurement scale for spicy heat. That's nearly three times hotter than the previous record holder, the Carolina Reaper, also created by Curry. Curry says eating a Pepper X is not an enjoyable experience. So I don't understand why you would... uh, It's like Dr. Ian Malcolm said in Jurassic Park. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not that they could that they didn't stop to think about whether or not they should. Mm -hmm. My question to you is... I like the spicy stuff, but not... Would you try hot sauce made from Pepper X if he says that eating one is not an enjoyable experience? What's the flavor like? I have no idea. When you said Pepper X, I was like, did Elon make a pepper? (laughs) I know, right? What is with this X? Maybe it means 10. I I didn't look into this as to whether it's Pepper X or Pepper 10, like, you know, the Roman numeral 10. Maybe Maybe we've been calling... Twitter the wrong thing. Maybe maybe it's 10. It maybe oh my 10. gosh, Matt. That's a great point. Have we heard Elon? I don't know. I don't know. I'm going to go put out a 10 and, and see, if, uh, see if anybody responds. Mm. Today is Wednesday, October the 18th. It is the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. Pray for us. It's nine past. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Father Sebastian Walsh. His latest book from Catholic Answers Press is Heart of the Gospel, How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness. Father, welcome back. Thank you, Benny. Since we are going to be studying Scripture together as we go through this book, Father, specifically the Beatitudes, of course, let's start with a general principle Um, You say in the book here that it is important to read Scripture reverently and with attention to the context as well as all the details. Why is that? 
Well, we always say whenever we are at Mass, at the end of a reading, the Word of the Lord. So, you know, if you as a parent expect your child to listen carefully to you, (laughs) then I think God expects us to listen carefully to Him. And He's got more to say in His Word than we could ever understand. St. Thomas Aquinas actually says that every word of Scripture is a participation of the eternal Word of God. It's as if from God's side, God is trying to express His whole Word, Jesus Christ, in every word of Scripture. So uh, we need to pay attention every little detail, because there's meaning in everything, more meaning than we could ever uncover. And not only that, but we have to read it with humility and reverence as a beautiful gift from God. Well, with that spirit in mind, let's look at a detail that that may not seem so significant on the surface if you're not reading reverently or paying attention to detail. I'm going to read the first two verses of Matthew chapter 5. Mm-hmm. It says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, and then goes into to the Beatitudes that we know from, from Matthew chapter 5. Now, it says he went up on the mountain. Mm-hmm. Why the article the? I mean, why didn't Matthew say he went up on a mountain, a mountain, Father? Yes. Now, in English, that's, that doesn't seem like a big deal to us, but it's a bigger deal in Greek. Because whenever you use that definite article in Greek, in a context like this anyway, that is when you haven't already mentioned it before, then that definite article tends to mean almost always the thing that you are calling the is the pristine example of it. We do it in English sometimes. We'll say he's the man or something like that. And normally if, if you are using that the in the way it's being used here, the definite article it would normally mean that it, you're referring back to something you've already referred back to. So if you say, you know, usually in a text it would be something like this. Jesus went up a mountain, da-da-da, when he was up the mountain. And the sure. the is then referring back to the previous mountain you were talking about. But if you're introducing for the first time and there's no antecedent like this, then um, it almost always means a case where you're, you're talking about the pristine example of something. Huh? So therefore... A first century Jew reading this text would immediately think, huh, the mountain? Well, the mountain is Mount Sinai. That's the one everyone knows as the mountain in ancient Israel. Now, he's not saying that Jesus actually went up Mount Sinai, but he is calling our attention to a a text in Exodus where those exact words are used in the Septuagint version of Exodus. It says he went up the mountain, and the person that's being referred to in that text is Moses. And so Matthew is calling our attention to the parallel between Moses and Jesus. Just as Moses went up Mount Sinai and then revealed from God the Ten Commandments, so Jesus is going up a mountain that's now the new Mount Sinai, and he's revealing his eight Beatitudes. So this, this idea of a list like that that's comparable to the Ten Commandments is also not accidental, right? St. Matthew is telling us that we're starting with a new law here. In the Old Covenant, the, the law looked like this. Thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that. Orders that are coming from the outside. Mm-hmm. But in the new law, it says, 
blessed are you. In other words, it's drawing our heart from the inside. You know, it's a law not of fear, of punishment, but a law of love, of desire. Huh? And, and so the new commandments given by Jesus aptly begin with what draws our heart, namely happiness, happiness beatitude. Father, is it significant that Matthew tells us that he sat down? Yes. Typically in the Gospels, when we read about Jesus sitting down, it means he's teaching with authority. Huh? There's a kind of magisterial authority there. And, and in the church, that was always reflected in the liturgy when the bishop would sit down to preach his homilies. And that's been actually reintroduced into the liturgy. I don't know if you know that, but in the third edition of the Roman Missal, that's put in as a preferred option for a bishop. Even an abbot could sit down and, and preach that way. Wow. So the sitting down of Jesus signifies the fact that he is preaching or teaching with a certain authority, a magisterial authority. And Jesus himself refers to that when he speaks, for example, about the scribes and the Pharisees. You see, he says, they sit in the chair of Moses. Therefore, whatever they command you, do. Huh? It's a really interesting text. Now, just one last question about setting. So there is this corresponding beatitude-type passage in the Gospel of Luke. But there are some major differences, and, and like I said, pertinent to this discussion, the setting. Often Luke's is described not as the Sermon on the Mount— but as the Sermon on the Plain. Could you talk about yes. that a little? Yes. So uh, both St. Augustine and St. Thomas Aquinas, reading those texts carefully and, and paying attention to the details, say it's likely that what we have here are two different homilies or sermons that are being recorded. Um, it says very clearly in Matthew's Gospel that when he saw the crowds, he separated himself. He went up to the top of the mountain, and only his disciples came to him. And so... That homily is the one which is more lofty, the one that was given only to his disciples that he had already been teaching for some time and who were already very well disposed to that higher teaching. That's why Matthew's Sermon on the Mount is much more detailed, includes a lot of lofty um, theological concepts. Uh, Luke's Beatitudes, on the other hand, are, uh, his Sermon on the Mount is condensed, as are his Beatitudes, and he, tends, he only gives four Beatitudes in Luke. And they tend to focus on the things that are closer to the senses. Um, and interestingly, Jesus says in Luke, instead of blessed are those who, he says, blessed are you who. And he's speaking right to the crowds right there. Blessed are you who are hungry. You know, blessed are you who are poor. Not poor in spirit, but blessed are you who are poor. Because he's trying to explain to them, you people who have been following me now for three days and given up work, given up food to hear the word of God. You've shown by your actions that just your poverty is already a sign of your blessedness. He doesn't need to add poor in spirit, for example. So it's a, it's a beautiful comparison and contrast between the two homilies and the way in which Jesus teaches his disciples and then the crowds who, who are just first hearing him. Well, we'll leave it there for now, and we'll look forward to uh, diving more into this book the next time we get together. It's called Heart of the Gospel. It's from Catholic Answers Press, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Father, thank you so much. You're welcome. God bless you. You too, Father. Thank you very much. All right. 18 past now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Headlines coming up next. Stay with us. Support is from Solidarity Health Share. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything? 
even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. The EWTN on-demand platform features 50 new podcasts every week, as well as an ever-expanding library of audio and video content. For Catholics who want to learn more about their faith, simply using their mobile device, computer, or TV. Your favorite EWTN programs are available 24-7. Visit EWTN.com and click On Demand. EWTN is the global Catholic network. 20 past, here's Anna with headlines. President Biden is making a visit to Israel just after a deadly blast yesterday at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds. Pope Francis has made a phone call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish in Gaza, and the Holy Father has granted an interview answering questions about his encyclicals, the Synod, and the wars around the world. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. And uh, I'm excited. I'll give a full report tomorrow as much as I can. I'm down here in Alabama at the Catholic Radio Conference meeting with lots of affiliates and some of those people who actually make radio possible in your area. Don't forget to tell them I say hello. Yes, if you have an opportunity to support your local Catholic radio station, please do so. They'll probably tell you how during the break. It's 21 past. We know a lot of you love anything pumpkin-flavored, and others, well, not so much. But the Mystic Monks of Wyoming are taking care of both of you with their coffee. That's right. Their seasonal favorite pumpkin spice blend is available, along with other normal flavors. And when you purchase them after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. If there is one psalm that bears a great fascination for Christians, it is Psalm 22. 
Like many others, it is a call for the Lord's help, but Psalm 22 contains elements that seem particularly Christian. The opening verse of the psalm was quoted by Jesus on the cross. Later verses give details of the sufferings that Jesus endured. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my prayer, from the words of my cry. My heart is like wax, melting away within my bosom. Indeed, many dogs surround me. A pack of evildoers closes in upon me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They have numbered all my bones. They look on me and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my vesture they cast lots. O Lord, be not far from me. O my help, hasten to aid me. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Dale Paterka. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Happy to have you along with us this morning on the Feast of St. Luke. Happy to welcome back to the Sunrise Morning Show, Carlo Broussard. He's an apologist with Catholic Answers. You can listen to his Sunday Word podcast at mrsundaypodcast.com. Invite him to speak at your parish through catholicanswerspeakers.com. We're going through his book from Catholic Answers Press, The New Relativism. Good morning, Carlo. Good morning, Anna. So, Carlo, we're continuing to unmask the relativism in uh, the commandment that you've identified as thou shalt not be intolerant. Now, uh, last time we discussed how those who push moral relativism tell us that, you know, we are not allowed to judge lifestyle choices of others. Right. And, and our initial counterpoint was, well, first of all, you're setting up a double standard because you're not being very tolerant of my own lifestyle choices of, you know, whatever. But then there's this other point that we made. Okay, great. Let's tolerate everyone's lifestyle, including murderers and rapists. And so now we're to how they might respond to this. I imagine it would be, you know what I mean, Carlo, as long as their moral choices don't harm anybody else, then we need to be tolerant. Is there a problem with that response? Yes, there are several ways in which we can respond. The first problem with that counter, Anna, and by the way, fantastic job setting that up. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You should have wrote the book, girl. Uh, The first problem is that if they make that counter, then they could no longer hold the line of their definition of tolerance which is what I defined in the book as are called an egalitarian tolerance. Mm. That is to say, all lifestyle choices are equally valid, because that's where it started in the conversation. But with this sort of counter, they would have to give up that understanding of tolerance, because now not all lifestyle choices are equal and valid. Mm. That is to say, those lifestyle choices that would cause, quote-unquote, harm. So that's the first problem with this sort of counter Mm -hmm. and then secondly anna think about this so now so now what we have here as our target is the principle itself all moral choices are good if they don't cause harm okay well we have to ask the question which kind of harm yeah that was going to be my question how do you determine what is and isn't harmful that's right well let's think about it if they're restricting the idea of harm to physical harm, 
Well, then we know there are actually counterexamples to this principle that most people of goodwill intuitively uh, would affirm. So take, for example, The Truman Show. You remember Jim Carrey and The Truman oh, yeah. Show? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, as fun, of, as fun of a show it was, there was no physical harm being done to Jim Carrey's character, Truman. Mm-hmm. But all people of goodwill would recognize that what they did to him was morally wrong, Right. And so their moral choices of putting on the show and lying to Truman in all those ways was not good. That was immoral, even though there was no physical harm. Or take, for example, Anna, the intent to murder my neighbor, right? If I, you know, everybody listening, this is a hypothetical example. If I have the intent to murder my neighbor, but just unfortunately am never able to carry it out, well, surely people of goodwill would recognize my intent to murder was a bad moral choice that I was making with my will, even though there was no physical harm carried out on my neighbor, or consider a doctor who fondles an unconscious patient. Mm. There you have a bad moral choice, and there's no physical harm. So people of goodwill would recognize that there are counterexamples to this principle. So that's one problem with the principle itself, Anna. But I think relative to our purposes in the book is that it really sidesteps the real question of morality of the LGBTQ lifestyle choices. It's just begging the question, because consider this, Anna. If these lifestyle choices, same-sex sexual activity, transgender lifestyle, etc., are immoral, well then, harm would be caused. Harm would be caused to the individuals participating in those lifestyle choices and making those choices because they would be harming their moral character. Mm. And so this, of course, leads again to that question. What do you mean by harm? You know, are we restricting it to physical harm? Or are we going to allow a broader understanding of harm where that would involve moral harm being done to one's moral character? But of course, that's where the quest, that's where the debate's going to have to lie. And yeah. that's going to be the essential question. Are these lifestyle choices immoral or moral? Yeah. And can I ask, you don't necessarily cover this in the book, but I'm just trying to imagine a conversation that I would be having on this front. And I think that the issue of consent would probably come up. Like if you have two consenting adults, then how mm-hmm. can you judge it? Do you have is, is there a good way to address that issue? Yes, actually, um, Anna, in chapter seven, actually chapter eight of my book, the whole chapter deals with this very question. So we will definitely get to it in the future. That shall not coerce. Got it. That's right. And here's, here's the short answer. Consent cannot be a sufficient condition for a moral choice or moral behavior. Why? Because consent only has moral authority and power on condition that the behavior you're consenting to, you have a right to consent to it. And that is to say, it's morally permissible. And we'll talk more about that in the future. Ah, well, I will look forward to it. In the meantime, encourage folks to pick up a copy of The New Relativism from Catholic Answers Press. You can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com or go straight to shop.catholic. Com. Carlo Broussard, really appreciate it, man. Thank you. Hey, thank you, Anna. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you. And you can find all of our guests linked in our show notes at sonrisemorningshow.com, where you can also find our video live stream and our podcast after we go off the air. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. 
It's time for news. President Biden is in Israel visiting the wartime nation right after a deadly blast at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds yesterday. Palestinian officials are blaming Israel. Israel is blaming Islamic Jihad, saying the bombing was the result of a rocket misfire carried out by Jihad. The Pentagon says it's not clear at this point who is responsible. The country of Jordan had been scheduled to host a summit between Biden and Egyptian and Palestinian leaders, but canceled it after the bombing yesterday. Meanwhile, Lebanon's Hezbollah has called for a day of rage over the bombing. And a ground invasion of Gaza by Israeli forces still appears to be imminent right now. Trey Thomas reports. Israel has imposed a blockade of the Gaza Strip, along with bombarding the region after Hamas's coordinated attacks earlier this month. The death toll from the fighting has now risen to 4,400. This comes as the U.S. and Israel have agreed to a plan to provide humanitarian aid from donor nations to civilians in Gaza. I'm Trey Thomas. The Times of Israel says Hamas is unlikely to take take up the offer from the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem to give himself in exchange for child hostages that they are holding. Speaking with journalists this week, Cardinal Pierre Batista Pizzaballa said if it could bring about the freedom of children, he has no problem and is absolutely willing to offer himself. Hamas is believed to be holding nearly 200 hostages, including children. The Jerusalem-based online news outlet reports Hamas is not likely to consider his offer. Pope Francis has made a phone call to the parishioners of the Catholic parish of the Holy Family in Gaza. Sister Nabila Saleh of the Rosary Sisters of Jerusalem told Vatican Radio that the Holy Father asked how many were sheltering at Holy Family Parish. And she said, the answer is about 500, including the sick, families, children, the disabled, people who have lost their homes and their belongings. She said it was a great blessing to be able to speak with the Holy Father. She said he gave us courage and support in prayer. Pope Francis has meanwhile granted an interview to an Argentine news outlet answering questions about his encyclicals, the synod, and wars around the world. From Vatican Radio, Devin Watkins reports. The word crisis, said the Pope, contains an internal dynamism which implies that we cannot emerge from a crisis alone, but must find a path to overcome it from above. Asked about the state of humanity in our day, the Pope said our world lacks protagonists of humanity, people who are able to embrace their culture and manage crises in full awareness of their own identity. He said dialogue is essential to resolve any crisis, including wars between nations. You cannot dialogue with others if you do not have awareness of where you stand, he said. When two conscious identities meet, they can dialogue and take steps towards an agreement. Pope Francis went on to address those who call him a, quote, dictator when they comment on his social encyclicals. It is not true, he said. The Pope takes the gospel and says what the gospel says. And, he added, I clarify that I am not a communist, as some say. The Pope follows the gospel. Turning to the ongoing Synod on Synodality, Pope Francis acknowledged that the Church needs to adapt to the times of every age. From the beginnings of the Second Vatican Council, John XXIII had a very clear perception. The Church had to change, he said. It is not just about changing fashion, but about a change that promotes the dignity of individuals, but always promoting harmony in the Church. 
Concluding the interview, the Pope highlighted the importance of being able to laugh and embrace the virtue of hope, saying we cannot live without hope. Regarding his apostolic journeys, Pope Francis said he would like to go to Argentina. Speaking of the farthest places left, he added, I still have Papua New Guinea left. I'm Devin Watkins. In Washington, another vote will be held this morning to elect a new Speaker of the House. Ohio Republican Representative Jim Jordan failed to get the necessary votes during the first ballot that the the first ballot of the vote on the House floor, but said he has no plans of withdrawing his name. This morning's vote is scheduled for 11 a.m. Eastern Time. That's the news. It's 35 past. It's the season of chunky soup and chunky sweaters, which means it's also pumpkin coffee season. And the Mystic Monks have their pumpkin spice blend in stock and ready for you to enjoy. And when you go to the Monks through sunrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on any flavor coffee or tea that you buy. Why shell out five bucks for a tall PSL when you can customize your own at home and drink it from a Sunrise Morning Show mug that you can find in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee through sunrisemorningshow.com. Hello, I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. The Apostle Paul had many associates, Titus, perhaps also Priscilla and Aquila, but how many of us could find familiar the associate named Epaphras? This unique name is probably a contraction of a longer and more common name, at least in Paul's time, Epaphroditus meaning literally, favored by the goddess Aphrodite. By the time we meet Epaphras, he has clearly regarded himself as now favored, or better, graced, by the Lord Jesus Christ. From Paul's remarks in his letter to the Colossians, it was the preaching of this associate Epaphras that got the church started in Colossae. Later in that same letter to the Colossians, Paul says of Epaphras that he is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus. He is always wrestling in his prayers on your behalf. Now, wouldn't it be grand if someone could say the same thing about us someday, that we were constantly praying on their behalf so that they might mature and be assured in everything that God wills? For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday, the 18th of October. It's the Feast of St. Luke the Evangelist. And Anna Mitchell, I think we're having a little trouble getting Father Augustine on the line, but it's okay. We got lots to say. He just emailed me saying, see you in a minute or two. So he's there. Uh, We just got to get his phone Oh, he just called us, so we just need to tread water for about 30 seconds. That's okay. Well, I'm just, we're going to, what is the, uh, what's the corporate way of saying it? We're going to put a pin in this discussion. A pin? A pin. We're going to table it, and I'm going to talk a lot about St. Luke here in just a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, you're going to talk to Father Augustine now. Yes, indeed, we are. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Augustine Weta, and he is the author of Pray, Think, Act, Make Better Decisions with the Desert Fathers. Father Augustine, how are you? I'm doing great. Good to be back. 
I, yeah, I think your poor producer would try like four or five times to get through to me, but my phone for some reason. Oh, I had it on silent. Well, oh, that's what monks well, do see, with our phones. You have silent phones. I, I mean, if a monk can't put their phone in silent mode, I don't know what's wrong with, <laughs> with the world. Um, exactly. So it's, it's the, wrong uh, the old monk story. A, a oh. phone at all. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's wrong that monks have phones at all, but anyway, here, here I am. Well, I wanted to. Um, we're, we've gotten into the second step of your book. Uh, the book is Pray, Think, Act, and we're starting off the Think step this week. And you start off your That's Think right. chapter with a story of Father Joseph and a pro and con list. I wonder if you could share that with us. Sure. Let's see. I, except that I just uh, forgot. I just uh, it's on page forty-five, and I was just there, and when I picked up my computer. I lost the page. I wish I had all these memorized. I here we go. Yes. Um, oh no, that's the next. Okay, Ab, uh, Father jo- uh, a brother said to Father Joseph of Penephesus, "I am at peace in my monastery, but I also feel the call to be a hermit. What should I do?" The old monk said, "If it is a choice between two options, both of which will bring you peace." Place each, as it were, into a scale. Add to them other thoughts, both encouraging and discouraging. Then weigh them against each other. <laughs> well, and, and that sounds thing, like a revolutionary idea, except I think a lot of us have made yeah. pro and con lists over the years. Yeah, it's not a revolutionary idea. Benjamin Franklin thought he invented it, actually. He called it moral algebra. But uh, if he had only known the Desert Fathers, he would have realized they thought of it first. I remember I had a friend in graduate school who was a fundamentalist who one day he said, you know, the other night I was just praying scriptures. I just started listening to them. They really listened, like Jesus was talking directly to me. And I, even then I thought, you know, monks have been doing that for hundreds of years. Someday you're going to get to St. John and say, wow, you know, like, Maybe Jesus thought said to eat my body and meant it literally. <laughs> uh, we're constantly rediscovering things that our parents already figured out. Well, the pro and con list is an interesting thing to uh, to ponder because it does sound sort of like a corporate uh, reflection activity that you might get at like a professional development <laughs> day or something like that. But there really is some benefit to this, and. You know, also because, as you mentioned, and and as the story of Father Joseph illustrates, uh, you know, a lot of our choices are not between a good thing and a bad thing. A lot of them are between like a couple of good things, and there could be yeah. some some wiggle room there. Yeah, I think it's important that he says that if you're trying to decide between two options, both of which will bring you peace. Right? That uh, if it's a, and that's again one of the real sort of ironies of hard decisions is that if it's a hard decision, it's because it's between two good things or two really bad things. But either way, you're either going to do really well or going to do really poorly, right? Well, and I think understanding that there are pros and cons to decisions um, in our own life helps me to be a little bit more merciful when someone uh, who I've asked to do something tells me no. (laughs) <laughs> because uh, chances are uh, the thing that I'd ask them to do would be something that they would find interesting and would possibly be good, but they have chosen another good instead of helping me out with the thing. 
And, you know, knowing that there's a little bit of a moral calculus or moral algebra, as Ben Franklin says here, helps me be a little bit more okay with someone when they tell them when they tell me no. Well, right. And they're going to have prejudices and, and shortcomings as well. I remember as a novice losing the car keys for like the 30th time and some one of the older monks, poor guy, missed a funeral and lost his temper. And I remember thinking, you know, if he were just more patient, if he were, if he were just more like me, then he'd understand. Uh, but then, of course, we'd never have the car keys So if he were just like me. Uh, so we all have complementary, as it were, complementary flaws as well as complementary um, virtues. But again, and that's what the moral algebra is all about, is measuring those flaws and virtues. And then the flaws and virtues we find in the world, trying to figure out like whether the, you know, certain flaws weigh more, as it were, than others, or virtues, or benefits. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, it's not just about, about these things is so key. Right. It's not just about uh, which list is longer, right? Whether you have 12 pros and six cons, <laughs> right? But but how much each of those cons weighs kind of matters. Right. I, I just love the way the Desert Fathers do this because they have such a, a a simple but profound way of stating everything. He doesn't just say measure them. He says weigh them against each other. And that takes into account all the subtleties involved. Well, let's say there's somebody who is walking into the workplace or who is uh, heading out of daily mass and, you know, going to the next mm. stage in their life today. And they've got a couple of things that they're sort of agonizing over. Uh, I mean, how would you encourage them to, to go about this process in weighing goods against one another? Um, I mean, and really think of that word weigh. Like, how would you what, what's a word of encouragement you would give to a person in that situation this morning? <laughs> I'd say that your choice really doesn't matter in the end. <laughs> Sorry to be so uh, blunt, but if if they're two good things, then you're going to do well either way. If they're two bad things, then you're just out of luck either way. But And then again, if you've been praying first, even a bad thing can work out well, right? Here in St. Louis, we have St. Philippine Duchenne who did all the weighing and all the decision-making and decided she was called to be a missionary. And she worked her whole life to do it, never converted anyone. <laughs> but it, as long, but she did it all with prayer. And so, but as Mother Teresa said, right, God doesn't call us to be successful. He calls us to be faithful. Uh, so all these, all these decisions and, and writing them down, of course, helps, and measuring and weighing them helps. But in the end, it's a matter of fidelity, not success. Yeah, and that's such an important thing to think about because, you know, like there are people who are trying to figure out what to major in in college, and they could be good at a whole bunch of different things, right? And sometimes right. you just need to have you just need to make that decision. I mean, you'd work with high schoolers, you know this, right? I mean, you can't do everything with your life. You got to at some point make a decision. Right, and it's never quite as uh, the decision is never quite the consequences are never quite as horrible as you imagine them to be. I, I remember a student telling me, "Look, I, I don't want to cheat on this next test, but if I don't, I'll never get into college, and then I'll be unhappy for the rest of my life." And I remember thinking, even then, you know, this kid has not done the moral algebra. Right? 
he he came out with this catastrophic uh, equation and calculated the cost. And of course, I mean, even I would be very tempted. Well, I no, I would be tempted to cheat. In fact, I probably would cheat if if I thought the the um, if I did that kind of algebra in my head, especially without praying first. Yeah, but yeah, I mean. It, it, the God yeah, gave us a say, brain for a reason. Yeah, there's, there's. Uh, if you think that that's going to make you happy, then you've probably missed the boat on what happiness is. <laughs> so yeah, uh, this is some more great wisdom, and there, there's so many cool monk stories in this. The book is called "Pray, Think, Act: <laughs> Make Better Decisions with the Desert Fathers." We've been talking with Father Augustine Weta. Always a great conversation. Thank you so much, Father. Have a blessed oh, day. Oh, thank you. What a pleasure. All right, we're back with more on St. Luke the Evangelist coming up after the break. It's 14 till. Are you looking for peace, longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to LordTeachMeToPray.com and click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This month's devotion is to the Holy Rosary. St. John Paul II called the Rosary his favorite prayer, in which we meditate with Mary upon the mysteries which she, as a mother, meditated on in her heart. The Rosary is one of the most cherished prayers of our Catholic faith. Join in this devotion to Mary and strengthen our connection to Our Lady with rosary beads, bracelets, boxes, pouches, and rings. Available at EWTNRC.com. Hi, Kellett. Later today on Catholic Answers Live, Joe Heschmeyer, both hours, open forum. Catholic Answers Live, 6 p.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. Now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 11 till, here's Anna with headlines. President Biden is making a wartime visit to Israel today, just a day after a deadly blast at a Gaza hospital that killed hundreds. Pope Francis has made a phone call to the parishioners of a Catholic parish in Gaza to check on those who are taking shelter there. And the Holy Father also has given an interview to an Argentine news outlet answering questions about his encyclicals, the synod, and wars around the world. News at the top and bottom of each hour every weekday morning here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Anna Mitchell, on this feast, 
of St. Luke the Evangelist. I always like to talk about the unique aspects of Luke's writing. Of course, mm-hmm. he wrote two books in the Bible. Um, he wrote the Gospel of St. Luke, and he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. And um, he wrote both of them to a person named Theophilus. Now, uh, it's interesting because I don't know whether Theophilus is like a real guy or mm-hmm. not, because Theophilus means loved by God, right? So he right. could in some ways be talking to a specific person, but also talking to, hey, beloved of God, here's the story that I'm going to tell you. So it does kind of have that that sort of double mm-hmm. double, uh, double meaning to it. Uh, it's the longest gospel, um, which makes it, therefore, the longest New Testament book. And there are lots of things that are in Luke's gospel that are not in the other gospels. So the Annunciation to Mary, that's yep. in Luke's gospel. It's not in uh, any of the other gospels. The Visitation mm-hmm. of Mary to Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Uh, same thing, and there are uh, there are a few others. I always like to point out that the prodigal son, which is one of the most beloved parables of Jesus, only shows up in Luke's gospel. And there are a bunch of different ways to think about the prodigal son. You know, the elder son and the younger son, and mm-hmm. and uh, how sometimes those are metaphors for the Jewish people and the Gentiles. Right. Uh, the reason that kind of sticks out to me knowing that is because Luke is the only Gentile writer <laughs> of the Gospels, yeah. right? Uh, everybody else who writes Gospels is is uh, of the Jewish faith. So it's very interesting to reflect on some of those differences. Yeah. Um, I remember years ago doing a whole series with um, with Father Jeffrey Kirby on a book that he put out called Luke, the Gospel of Mercy. Um, that so many of the stories, of course, uh, Dr. John Bergsma will tell you in New Testament Basics for Catholics that the major theme of Luke is the kingdom. So you have Luke and then extending into Acts. Um, I mean, this is obviously, it's a theme that you're going to find in in all of the New Testament. The kingdom of God is at hand, but in a particular way, in Luke, um, extending it out, or or well, Luke doesn't extend it out, but but makes known or or highlights the extension of um, the kingdom of God to all nations, not just Israel, um, because he is a Gentile, like you were saying. Yeah, it is pretty fascinating. You know what else is fascinating is uh, the way that Luke opens up the gospel is uh, is something you can sort of gloss over. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They've used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples, right? Mm-hmm. So he's acknowledging the fact that other people are writing stories about Jesus and uh, that there are eyewitnesses out there. And, and Luke is uh, setting out, as he says to Theophilus, to give a careful and detailed account. Um, and if you're wondering, you know, what does that mean? Does that mean that he's just going to be faithful in telling the stories? Well, that's part of it. That's part of it. But he also is going to include stuff that might sound kind of weird um, in the Gospels. So he'll tell you things like uh, when the birth of the John, of John the Baptist is foretold, he talks about in the time of Herod, king of Judea. Well, why would he talk about who's king of Judea mm-hmm. at that point? Unless he's trying to situate it specifically in time yeah. uh, by telling you, uh, I mean, this is before we marked the calendar using, you know, BC and AD, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this is, you marked the calendar, you marked the number of years that you were on by the reign of the king. So when the birth of Jesus then comes about and Luke says, you know, that 
uh, Caesar Augustus issues a decree. Uh, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. He's trying to give you the time markers so that you know this actually happened in history. Yeah. Yeah. And another major theme that we see come out in Luke are all of the healings, because, of course, Luke was a medical doctor. He's a physician. So yeah. I'm, I'm I mean, I'm just kind of paging through my Bible here and all of the, the stories, um, you know, the healing of the centurion slave, the rising of the the son, the widow's son at Nain. Um, does that technically count as a healing, do you think? <laughs> I think so. Raising someone from, from the dead, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. The girl restored to life and a woman healed. That's the story within the story. Um, yeah. The um, there's, But I yeah, there's think a an lot extension of, that. of what I was saying at the beginning of, um, of this theme of the kingdom and this theme of mercy running through. One of the things I do these Bible studies with Father Hezekiah Carnazzo um, on the, the the Sunday readings and last year's lectionary we were going through the Gospel of Luke in depth and um, one of the points that Father Hezekiah would make over and over and over again when you're talking about the kingdom of God what does the king do he sets things in order that is what the king is meant to do in his kingdom and so when you have all of these healings taking place, this is actually Jesus setting his kingdom in order, healing people, healing them, of course, from these physical ailments, but also from their spiritual ailments, which is why he is, we, we see him as a gospel of mercy. And uh, in that healing note, of course— as you just mentioned a moment ago, Luke, a physician, I find it fascinating. This is pointed out to me even like as a kid, as an evangelical kid, that the uh, account of Jesus saying that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle mm -hmm. than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In Matthew's gospel and Mark's gospel, the word for needle is a sewing needle, whereas oh, in yeah. Luke's gospel, it's a surgical needle. That's the word that he uses. So huh. kind of fascinating. What is a surgical needle? Like sewing like, uh, somebody up after surgery. Oh. Ask your husband. Yeah, I'll ask him. See if he's ever used one. There you go. There you well, St. Luke the Evangelist, pray for us. Thanks for joining us on this Wednesday, October the 18th here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Check us out in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Stop by and say hello. I'm Matt Swain. For all of us here, may God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. Peace.